The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hey kids, welcome to our Kids Ministry Minute. I'm Jamie. I just finished reading the Bible story about Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. The walls were supposed to keep enemies out of the city, but those same enemies had torn the walls down. With them so close by, it was a huge job to rebuild the walls again, and the task must have felt impossible. I definitely know what that's like. When I'm at work, for example, sometimes things get really crazy, and I get overwhelmed by all the things I have to do. It can be very easy to get upset and lose my focus. So I was wondering to myself how Nehemiah did it. How did he encourage all the Israelites to continue working on rebuilding the wall when they were so afraid and discouraged? Haven't checked my mailbox in a while, so maybe there's an assignment waiting for us that'll tell us the answer. Let's go check. Ah, just as I suspected. There we go. Okay, let's figure out what's in this puppy. We have got ping pong ball. And, oh, there's something else in there too. A, what looks like a hair dryer. How, how did that fit in the... Never mind, never mind. Uh, so we have these two items, which I'm not sure if... Wait, 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 wait. I know what to do. We can conduct a very cool experiment with these two items that will hopefully explain the Bible story a little bit better. Firstly, take a look at this ping pong ball. Do you think, I wonder, that I can throw this up in the air and make it float? Let's try it. That's a no. Uh, So, this ping pong ball represents maybe my problems at work, or Nehemiah's own efforts to rebuild the wall, or a problem in your life that you just can't figure out a good solution for. But let's change our focus for a moment. Let's focus on Jesus and not on the problem. Let's see what happens when we focus on God and ask for his help with our problems. This hairdryer will represent what happens when we ask for God's help with our problems. There we go, now isn't that cool? That was a much better result. We changed our focus to be rooted in Jesus as our foundation, instead of just focusing on the problem. And with God's help, we were able to accomplish the impossible. This is what Nehemiah did when he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He asked God for help, and God blessed the process by giving the people the desire to help Nehemiah. And Nehemiah encouraged the Israelites to keep on continuing to trust God. Our key passage for today is Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, let's see what else we can do when we focus on Jesus. When we're doing God's work, he builds us up and he makes us stronger. He makes the impossible possible, which is pretty cool. Thank you very much for watching and have a great week. Bye.
scripture today will be from Nehemiah 1, 1 to 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And Jesus said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenants and steadfast love, and those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house, house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servants, Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant, Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Amen. Thanks so much, Mel, for that scripture reading in a moment as we look at Nehemiah. um, We're going to be examining what God has to teach us about our own discipleship through that man and through his times. Before we do, though, I want to invite you to think about your own habit of giving. We have, uh, over the summer, been taking this moment to remind ourselves of the various aspects of ministry that we support as a church. And uh, so an opportunity, whether people are online watching and want to prepare to give, or whether you're here, or whether you just want to take the moment to pray as you hear and look at some pictures. Today, we're especially focusing on the grounds and the facility that we have by the grace of God here at uh, 2405 McGillivray. And I was thinking that it's not a bad idea that we do show as so many people are finding us online and they don't even know what our place looks like. So this is an opportunity for you to see some pictures if you're online and you've never been to our, to our site. A uh, chance to you, for you to check us out before you arrive physically. And uh, for all the rest of us, may you just take the moment to pray that God will use these grounds and this facility for his glory. So we'll wait upon Diane now. Thanks.
Thanks, Diane. We uh, really are grateful for the folks that uh, maintain our facility, uh, our grounds, uh, some summer workers, but also Phil Nickel, who is overseeing so much. Uh, we sure appreciate his work and the team that works with him, and Victoria Griffin, who is our custodian, and her work to keep this place clean, and so we're grateful to God. Well, some of you might have remembered that we uh, studied Nehemiah uh, about four years ago, and that was a more uh, expositional series. We got into six or eight Sundays of it, but today it's a one-off, and uh, that's because the intent of the sermon series in the summer has more to do with uh, looking at individuals in the Bible and examining just how it is that we can uh, grow ourselves after some things that maybe they've done right. And so that's why our sermon series is called Follow Me as I Follow Christ. And what is it that today we might learn from Nehemiah about uh, discipleship? You read, as we heard uh, Mel read the scripture, you heard that the very first thing that Nehemiah did when he heard about the bad news of what was happening in Jerusalem was that he, he prayed, he fasted, he sought the Lord God. And it says in chapter 1, verse 4 of Nehemiah, how do you respond to bad news? How do you respond to bad news? What's your instinct? What's the first way that you uh, respond? Well, Nehemiah had a heart after God. And uh, last week as I was reading Nehemiah and thinking about what I would share with you this morning, it occurred to me that you really, we, we cannot really know much about Nehemiah and whether he's worthy of following in any way except for three areas that I think are really critical for us to understand. These three elements made Nehemiah who he was, and just as our response to these three elements in our lives will make us who we become. And so the three elements that I'm going to look at later in the sermon are how Nehemiah, uh, and the enemies that he encountered, the temptations that he faced, and the challenges that he had to overcome. We're going to come back to that stuff in, in a little while, but those are the very three things that are important in our lives. In other words, if we took a magnifying glass and examined these areas for Nehemiah, we'd understand what made the man. In a similar way, if we took a magnifying glass and looked at ourselves in these three areas, how we respond to our enemies, how we deal with temptations, how we face the circumstantial challenges that come our way beyond our control. Uh, we're going to see how we are doing in our own discipleship. It will help us to discover the progress we're making or what's stalling us from making progress in our spiritual maturity. And uh, Enemies, temptations, circumstantial life challenges make or break us. It often has to do with just what kind of decisions we make in the moment. And so as we begin, I'm just going to ask that we ask God to help us to take that magnifying glass and turn it inward and look at what we have to learn from this, this sermon this morning. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Oh God, our Father, we, we come to you this morning um, I can't, I can't know what's in the hearts and minds of everybody that is watching and listening here. But God, you do. For, Father, I, I can't know the journey that every one of us here have been on in the past months 
whether it has been a spiritual climbing up into the heights of knowing you better, just like we sang, or whether it has been a summer of spiritual decline and going into the places we'd rather not go. Lord God, you alone know. Father, but here we are, and it is our desire this morning to set aside this time and to really seek you. And like we sang, we want to know you and then know you more. Would you help us, Lord? Father, I lift up to you every person here, every challenge that is being faced, every enemy that is encountered, every temptation that is being wrestled through. And Lord, I pray that today you might meet us with your word, through your word, and that every one of us will go home with some something that we know that was for me, that was from God for me, and that today will be a turning point for some that have decided to make the coming months different than the last few months. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John White writes this. Following Christ may involve us in more stress rather than less. The call to follow is a call to advance from stress to stress. It is also a call to go from strength to strength. We are mistaken when we suppose that stress is an evil that must be avoided at all costs. The same stress that kills can also make us tougher, stronger, and more resilient. You either believe that or you don't. You either are seeking a stress-free life or you are actually streaking, seeking a Godward life that will involve you in stress, but will be kept by God through the stress and overcoming the stress with his grace. So as we study the life of Nehemiah, you'll know, if you're familiar with the story, that he faced a lot of stress. And we're going to see what we could see in, in, and learn in what God permitted, what God allowed, what God designed into his life, and consider just uh, what God allows and permits and designs in our own lives. But first, let's do a little, a little bit of background. So to get a little bit of a background, just looking at the books of the Bible, you will know that Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, next week we're going to look at Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are properly placed just pro afterward, after the book of First and Second Chronicles. And the book of First and Second Chronicles are well-named because they chronicle the history of Israel from the time of King David all the way through to the exile into Babylon in around 597 B.C. <clears throat> and so uh, that's, where, that's where Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are placed. And you'll know the history probably, but let me just give you a quick review. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness, it, Judah's unfaithfulness, God had allowed the enemy kingdom of Babylon to march right up to the gates of Jerusalem, lay siege to the city, and eventually cause it to fall. And so a remnant of, of Israel was allowed to stay within the city walls and in the area, but a whole bunch of people were taken off into Babylon. Remember Psalm 
137, by the rivers of Babylon, we, we wept and we hung our harps on the tree. How could we sing in a foreign land? And for 70 years, Judah, the people of Jerusalem, were in Babylon as ser- servants and slaves. And in that time, God was doing his work. In that time, God was doing his work. When that time had passed, God raised up another mighty world empire force, the kingdom of Persia, and they overcame the Babylonians, and a new king came in to rule, Cyrus, king of Persia. And he allowed the exiles to return back to Jerusalem. And so now now they've returned back to Jerusalem. In fact, the very first wave of the returnees had about 50,000 people strong that were going to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. But they still faced local opposition. You see, the king of Persia had given them permission to return, but he had not given them protection when they were there. And so there they were, having to fight battles while at the same time trying to do the work with no homes, no no infrastructure in place. And so for the first while, they just struggled, and eventually they quit. And, And it was 16 years before the the, the work was taken up again. All they accomplished was the clearing away of the rubble and the foundations were laid for the temple. That's all. The walls of Jerusalem were still broken down and the people were victimized by locals. And so, realizing this, God raised up a man. His name was Ezra. He was a priest. And uh, he knew that they needed help in order to continue this work. And so when they returned back to Jerusalem, a new wave of people, they realized that they had to not only build up the city, the temple and the walls, but they had to build up the people of God. Ezra realized that just as the Jer- Jerusalem was in such a, a disarray, so also the people of God that had been in exile for 70 years were also in a disarrayed place. They were not following after God. They had not been giving themselves over to a following of God. And so he realized that they had to return not just to Jerusalem, but they had to primarily return to God. Just as you and I don't just need to go to church, we need to go to God. That's what God is more interested in. And so Nehemiah is raised up at this point in time as well. And it, as, he, as God raises up Nehemiah, he raises up a man who is ready to rebuild the temple and the walls. Now, God had been preparing Nehemiah for some time. He was, as we read in the Scripture, a cupbearer to the king, which meant that he was in charge of supervising every stage of the winemaking, its growing of grapes, its purchase, its storage, its tasting, its serving. He was the one that had to take care of the king's health. And people were trying to poison the king. People would try to kill authorities. And so it was a position of influence and authority. You might even think of it more as a security agent than a a wine taster. So he was in proximity to the king, given great confidence, given great favor. In fact, they often had various conversations. So it is not surprising that he might go in to the king's presence one day and actually present a very personal request when he hears the bad news of the condition of Jerusalem, his home city and his people. He is granted the request from the king to go back to 
Jerusalem to build up the walls. He is given protection en route to get there, and he is given some timber and, and materials to take there. And so the worship of God then maybe could continue if the walls of Jerusalem were built and they were safe. Let me read to you a quick description from J.I. Packer's book about Nehemiah. He says, with its walls down, Jerusalem had no defense against invaders. Many of the citizens moved out. Temple worship could not be maintained. Morale had sunk to rock bottom. Jerusalem is a picture of Christian churches, weakness, disillusionment, and the melting away of adherence is the story everywhere. He's writing this 25 years ago. The church appears as a ruined city after the fighting And like Jerusalem, as Nehemiah founded, a tremendous rebuilding job awaits anyone who still cares about its welfare. Is that the way you think of the church in North America? This need for rebuilding, for growth. So what we see in Ezra and Nehemiah is very much this need for repentance, for renewal, for rebuilding. And the parallel stories of the building of the walls of Jerusalem and the temple physically is paralleled by the rebuilding of the people of God that had been gone for 70 years and had not really followed after the Lord their God. And so both the people being built up and the physical structure being built up is the theme of Nehemiah. Now, I just want to take a pause moment here for, for, with you for a moment and just think, I cannot help but make the correlation since we just thought about our facility and our grounds and prayed for us here that this would be to the glory of God. I cannot help make the correlation that even as God faithfully raised up leadership and resources years ago for us to build this building and to prepare this land on McGilvery to the glory of God, so also I want you to know that the harder work, the greater work, is preparing and renewing and rebuilding the people of God, you and I, for the task of God to be the disciples of God that he wants for Canada in this 21st century. We are to be a spiritual house, as 1 Peter 2.5 says a people belonging to God, that we might declare the praises of God who called us out of darkness into light. And all around us there is darkness and people walking in darkness. So Nehemiah and studying Nehemiah should underline for us the need for spiritual renewal more than anything, a call for us to return to Jesus Christ, to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and to be about the business of making his disciples. Now, you already know that. You already know that to be a church in Canada in the 21st century is not an easy thing. But you must know as well, to be a faithful church, a worshiping church, a praying church, a Bible-obeying church, a Christ-exalting church, a disciple-making church in the 21st century in Canada is near impossible. You must know that, that the harder work is not the buildings we live in and worship in. It is the people of God that need to be renewed, our own hearts brought to the altar daily, and our community of faith brought together weekly at least to worship the Lord, to remind ourselves of the goals 
that God has given us for our lives on earth. You must know that. You must know the lethargy, the opposition, not just that maybe our government, our society, our neighbors might give us. You must know that that pales in comparison to the strength of the opposition that lives within your own heart to the life that God has called you to. You must know that. We can point the finger out and blame and feel like we're victims, but folks, the enemy, I've seen them, and it's us. Nehemiah faced some out external opposition, no question, but he also realized that the internal opposition he faced was far greater. And so do we. Our comfort, our comfort, our lethargy, our own personal ambitions. These can all wage war against the ambition and the purposes and the plans of God for White Ridge Baptist Church. You see, Nehemiah was facing a problem that had a whole generation of people that had 70 years been not attuned to the agenda of God. They had grown up, they had lived elsewhere, they had gotten used to life in, an, in another way in Babylon. And now here they were back in Jerusalem, and they thought it might be a bit of a cakewalk. The king of Persia has given us permission to return. It was nothing like that. There was opposition on every front, and they were growing hopelessly lost. They, they finally were giving up the task. The first wave gave up. Sixteen years later, another wave comes. They're still not really having success because the walls of Jerusalem had not yet been repaired. Like many of the Israelites that had left Egypt years earlier and wanted to return to Egypt, so also many of the exiles saw the work too hard and wanted to go back to Babylon. I want you to know, friends, before we go on, and, and I know we're going to get to those three points yet, but before we go on, you need to know going back is a real strong, strong theme in the Bible and in our own Christian lives. Going back, going backward in faith instead of forward, that's a real strong theme. Going backward is a common occurrence among Christians in our generation. Going backwards, digressing, is always the easier road. It's always more attractive. It's always a possibility. It's lurking behind every corner of your journey in the walk to follow God, going back. And when you face the enemies of your lives, the temptations of your lives, and, and the challenges that circumstances bring, all the easier to just go back, to digress in your faith. Think about the time when you were strongest in your faith journey and think about the time that you were weakest. Think about that. I must confess, and I'm not too proud to say it by the grace of God, I must confess there have been seasons in my life where I have digressed in my spiritual journey. I've gone backwards. I don't know if that relates to any of you, if, that, I, I, if you can identify with that. 
I'm not proud enough to say I confess it as a sin. I've gone backwards instead of forward. Even this summer, I've found a a lethargy upon my spirit. Even this summer, I've had a hard time motivating myself. I mean, I love you folks, but I I would have been glad to stay on vacation a little longer. You know, even this summer, I I, I read and I I pray, but I'm, I'm just lazy spiritually. And see, Nehemiah is certainly a book about leadership and the call of God to to leadership, to be motivating the people of God to get to the work of God and not get distracted with other things. But folks, more than that, I believe, more than about leadership, I believe it's about a community effort, a community of faith that is going to the task and needing each other to stay on task. That's why we have church folks. That's why we need each other because alone we get isolated and we will easily get distracted into the comfortable life. That is not a challenge at all. And so, how do we press on and not go back or backwards? Paul says in the scripture, Paul says, uh, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. He says in verse 16 of that Philippians 3 passage, let us hold on to what we've attained. So Paul has this idea that there's a way in which we can, we can attain to a certain level of spiritual maturity and, and good habits and good disciplines and, and good focus, and then we can, we can digress. Paul's encouraging the Philippian church, but at least hold on to what you've attained. How do you do that? You don't do it alone. Jesus, in his words, said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So whatever your past has been like, whatever digression you might have sunk to, whatever kind of going backwards you have done, I want you to forget about it. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to be focused backward, you're not going to be plowing a straight furrow. You need to go forward. And so how do we do that? How do we rebuild our own walls How do we keep and protect ourselves from the enemy so that we can build up the temple of God and build up the community of faith? Well, if we take it down to a micro-application, in other words, if you just will take this down right into your own life, the big message, the big idea of the book of Nehemiah, we must not miss the lesson that God has for us, and that is that Nehemiah was sent to Jerusalem to organize the people of God in the building of a wall. And we all need good walls in our lives as well. Now, I know that today we talk so much about tearing down the walls between race and all the different problems that human community faces. Well, that's not what this sermon is about, folks. This sermon is about building up the good walls that will actually protect us from from being further divided as the people of God. We need good walls around our souls and around our families. There are walls that need constant maintenance and repair in your spiritual life. What what are those walls? It's a vital work for all of us. Parents, let me talk to you for a moment. You parents of children that are yet in the home, parents, what walls do you need to rebuild or repair or maintain 
around your family before this September ushers in craziness again. It's just two to three weeks away. What walls will you repair in your family life so that you are as often as possible at the same table together eating dinner, debriefing about the day? What walls will you build around your marriage so that you as a married couple can actually debrief about the events of the day, talk about the issues of the family, address the personal needs of the children, and maintain a closeness so that you can pray up to God the things that really matter and not just the everyday financial job oriented activities and recreation. You need to build some walls. You need to repair the walls that have been broken down. We all do. Or take it right down to you as an individual person. What are the walls that you need to build around how you spend your time? You've already made some plans for September, October, November, etc. What are the things of greatest priority if Jesus Christ were to sit down in your devotional time tomorrow morning and say, here's what I'd like you to focus on? What would he say? What are the walls that you could build around yourself so you don't get running crazy and God gets shoved into a closet and then brought out once a week when you go to church? We just have two to three weeks to decide on what the walls are going to be looking like. (laughs) I know, I wish it was two to three months, but it's only two to three weeks. And then you get back into routine, and routine is good. But we need boundaries so we can protect and maintain what, what we've attained. Do you know that we're called to be disciples? followers of Jesus Christ. The word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. The word disciple describes you and I more than any other word. You need to think about yourself as a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible calls you more than any other name. You are a follower of Jesus. You are swimming against the current of all the neighbors in society around you. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. The world does not want to think about that language. It says and says, instead, steer your own ship, make your own plans, live your own life toward your own self-fulfilled dreams. Dream to the max, we're told. Dream to the max. And that kind of life just shuts God out, doesn't it? So we need to come before the Lord daily, acknowledge the brokenness of our walls, rebuild them with the grace of God and help of God, and decide we're going to 
We're going to maintain. Do you remember when Nehemiah was building the wall? Do you remember how he assigned each tribe, each group, the different areas? And sometimes the enemy would come against the one area, and they had to all rally. The trumpet was right beside Nehemiah. The guy would blow the trumpet, and everybody would come, and they would build the wall together and and, and oppose the, the enemy at that point because that was the vulnerable place. You know, we need each other like that. We need each other. So let me encourage those of you who identify with this season of digression, kind of like the way I shared earlier. Having gone backwards in your last few months or six months or a year instead of forwards in your faith, I want to encourage you. I really do. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to encourage you today. He wants to comfort you. You might feel that God is weary of you. You might feel that God has given up on you. You might have wandered so far and compromised so much that you can't even see the way home. But God knows. God knows where you live. God knows he has a place for you in his home. He's able to get you home. Don't give up. Your recent path has led you maybe back to Egypt or to Babylon instead of on to Jerusalem. That's okay. God's going to... God's going to gather the exiles, and if you're one of them, he's, he's waiting for his time to gather you back. There's good news. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Are you one of those lost right now? Can you imagine a little lamb? Can you imagine a little lamb that is lost thinking, oh, I got lost again The shepherd must not love me, or I wouldn't get lost. He only loves the sheep that don't get lost. No, what does Jesus say? He says that he leaves the 99, and he goes after that one lost sheep. Or can you imagine a sick person thinking to themselves, oh, I'm sick again. The doctor will not have time for me. He only cares about the people that are well. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus said it's not the sick. It's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. I have come for the sick. Can you imagine the prodigal son or daughter thinking, my parents must be fed up with me by now. They don't want me back. They just care about my brother or sister because they never wander away. No, that's ridiculous. Read the story of the prodigal son, the father waiting on tiptoes until his son will return. God the Father is so far beyond in love with you than you could even imagine. The quality of God's love for you far outstrips anything you've had notions of in terms of how God should treat you or love you. You think that he cannot love you because you don't love yourself, but he's not limited. His love is no limits. It's lavish love. His love is so lavish that he gave his only son, Jesus. And having given his son already for your salvation and for your forgiveness and for your abundant life, do you think that he will not, along with his son already given, give you all things that you need to live the kind of life that he died to purchase for you? Oh, it's just waiting for you. Just go home. It's waiting. And so, that's a long runway to get this jet off the tarmac, but I'm going to go to those three points now, and I won't be long. We're going to just talk about those three things. 
that I mentioned earlier. Nehemiah's enemies were very, very well known. They are named about 12 times in this little book. They're always the same people that were opposing him. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and a guy named Geshem. And they'd always come against whatever Nehemiah was doing. They made his life miserable. And their names are listed several times. And it says in the Scriptures that they did not have the same goals that the Jews had to rebuild the temple. They didn't have that. They didn't want to reestablish temple worship. They didn't want the living God being praised in Jerusalem for a place of house of prayer for all nations. They didn't want that. They were enemies primarily because they had different gods and they had different goals. And folks, you will have enemies because you have people around you that will have different gods and they will have different goals and you need to stop taking it personally. It's not about you. You just got caught in the crosshairs blocking them from their goals and their gods and your life stinks to them so you're you're going to be a target but don't take it personally they're just on their way to their god and their goal and you got in the way because you see if you take it personally you don't become the witness the 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 fragrance of christ to that person you get defensive you get prickly and It's not about you. Nehemiah was able to continually keep his reference point on God, not on his enemies. Big big lesson I learned from Nehemiah. That's right right there. Uh, Live the Godward life. Don't let your enemies detract you from your goals and your God and your values. But don't take it personally. Then secondly, the the temptations that that he faced, you might think, well, what were the temptations that Nehemiah faced? Well, it's interesting, there's a place in chapter 6 where his enemies are inviting him to to meet together, and he says, no, I'm not going to meet together. Um, He could have been tempted with the flattery of being invited to have this consortium together. Instead, he responds and he knows that it's, it's a trap because it's a full day's journey away from Jerusalem on the edge of Samaria where there's hostile territory. And so he says to them, I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should I stop the work and go down to you? Should a man like me run away? I will not go. That's what he says in chapter 6. And then later in verse 5 of chapter 6, they try a different tactic. They, they send another letter, and this time there's all these damaging accusations. He's, they're saying, you know what? We hear that what you're trying to do is you're going to rebel against the king of Persia. You're trying to make yourself king, Nehemiah. That's what you're doing. He could have been tempted there to go back and, and try, to, try to meet with them and appease them and clarify the truth and you know, manage his own image. He doesn't do that. He's more direct this time. He says, he says in response, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your own head. I will not go. And then he prays, God, strengthen our hands. So there was temptation on Nehemiah to leave the work to pursue self-protection, but he, he denies the allegations. And you know, we live in a time when accusations against leadership will, will be frequent. If Nehemiah would have been living in today's cancel culture... All of society would have been sitting as judge and jury over Nehemiah, but there was a few things more important to Nehemiah. 
One was his own integrity, two was his own clean conscience, and three was completing the work that God had given him to do. And you need to have those three things in place. Your own integrity, your clean conscience, and doing whatever God has put for you to do, don't get distracted from those things. There will always be temptations that will hinder your maturity. Your own image management, the fear of man, political correctness, people-pleasing, pursuit of your own ambitions, or insidious temptation that is taking place in secret that will sap you of your spiritual energy. There will always be temptations. And how you respond will either make or break the woman or man of God that you're called to be. But you don't have to go backward, folks. You can go forwards. And then thirdly, the challenges that Nehemiah overcame Chapter 6 and chapter 13, you see internal strife, challenges that were within the faith community and brothers and sisters in, in, in the faith community of Judaism that were opposing a priest that was actually betraying Nehemiah and some noblemen that were actually charging taxes to the poor so that they couldn't even, couldn't even pay for things while they were working on rebuilding the walls. And, Nehemiah just confronts it all, head on. Could have been his life in, in, at stake, but he, he does it anyway. And by the grace of God, they finished the wall in 52 days. And Nehemiah says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid, and they lost their self-confidence. They realized that this had been done with the help of our God. Isn't that great? You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were people that sneered at him and said to him, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. And I hear, I hear Jesus responding in this way. <laughs> I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Imagine if Jesus had come down. Not one of us. Not one of us would know God. Not one of us could be saved. Perhaps there are people that are depending on you to do the great work that God has given you to do. Perhaps there are people depending on you this September, October, November for you to stay the course regardless of whatever digression you might have had in the past, to go forward and to say, I'm going to finish the work that God gave me to do. Perhaps there are people depending on you to do that. The name Nehemiah means comfort and consolation of God. And indeed, he was used by the Lord to comfort his people, to encourage them at a very critical time. And uh, it's because he was in the habit of seeking God. So I want to encourage you, make this year, make this year a year of going forward, not backward. Would you stand with me? And let's pray as we conclude our service. Father God, we thank you that, I thank you that you gave me this message today to share, and 
I just pray that you'd use it, Lord, that uh, it will have, uh, it'll accomplish whatever you sent it out to do. Maybe there's someone here, Father, this morning that has digressed. They've gone backwards so long that they don't even know how to go forwards. Lord, I just thank you that in your mercy that you're able, you're able to restore them. And Lord, the biggest challenge is for them to believe you that your love can overcome their unfaithfulness. Would you help them, Holy Spirit, to to believe you, to put their faith in what you have said and to now leave the past behind and move forward to the rebuilding of those walls around their souls, around their life in you and of rebuilding that temple that they are in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Would you help them? Lord, I want to just pray for them. I lift them up to you. Lord, every one of them right now that is just saying, that's me, God, that's me, then, Lord, I just pray for them. You'd touch them right now. You'd make this coming week a a week of planning, a week of preparing for September, a week of getting the walls repaired and the challenges faced in your grace and strength. God, we need each other. I pray that the plans that we're making for this fall, the study in the Sermon on the Mount, the the different studies that we're doing, the the different services that we're offering and the ministries, Lord, I pray just anoint everything with the power of your Holy Spirit that what we do might be together in building up the walls, protecting our church so that we're a faithful church in this generation in Canada, a praying church, a Bible-obeying church, O God, a disciple-making church, and a Christ-exalting church. Lord, we need your grace to be able to do that, and walls have to be built and maintained to do that, Father. Help us. Help us, O God. In Jesus' name. Listen to this wonderful little prayer. Christ be within us today and always. Christ before us and behind us. Christ beneath us and above us. Christ on our right and on our left. Christ when we lie down, when we sit and when we stand. Christ in the heart of all of our thinking. Christ in the mouth of all of our speaking. Christ in the eye of all that we see and look at. Christ in the ear of all whom we hear, and Christ in our love in all that we do. People of God, may you go in his grace, and may his peace be upon you. Amen.